Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Rydelman. I'm a professor of Jewish studies and Bible and the academic dean at Moody Bible Institute, and this is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. It's where Moody answers your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. You can also post your question by going to our website, openlineradio.org. There's a link there that says, Ask Michael a Question. Fill out the form. Your question will be added to the mailbag. Now, before we get to the phones, let's talk about our current resource. Obviously, we need to read and study God's Word at times, though it can be a challenge, particularly for us to understand it. And that's why Pastor Colin Smith wrote 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible. It's a small book that gives the big picture of how to read the Bible. The book can help us unlock a deeper understanding of the Scriptures so that we get more out of our time in the Word. It's a simple and helpful guide that will make the Bible more accessible to all of us who read it. And so it's yours when when you give a gift of any size to OpenLine. It's just a way for us to say, thanks for your generosity. We really appreciate you. If you'd like to receive a copy of 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible, just call 888-644-7122 or go to OpenLineRadio.org. And remember, When you give your gift, be sure to ask for 10 keys for unlocking the Bible. We're going to talk to Andrew in Chicago, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Andrew. How can I help you? Thank you for taking my call, Dr. Myra uh, Rydelnik. You can call me Michael. It seems that Um, it's hard to say that last name. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. Um, So my question is, I have a hard time saying uh, my last name, uh, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Michael. Go ahead with um, your question, sure. So my question is kind of multi-layered, but the initial question, is it a sin to drink any alcohol or any fermented drink, or is it a sin to get drunk? Okay, well, uh, again, let me ask you, what do you think about that? So... I believe that it's a sin to get drunk, not to a sin to drink anything alcoholic or fermented. I Is someone telling you something that. about that fermented thing that that they sh- no one should allow fermented uh, wine to pass your lips or something? Yes, um, my oh, okay. ex girlfriend. This is why we broke okay. up. Okay. Well, uh, th- that is a common view. There are people who think that the wine that the Lord Jesus drank and the wine that the Lord Jesus turned the water into was somehow unfermented. There was no such thing as unfermented wine. The purpose of drinking fermented wine was not only ritual, of course, like in the Old Testament, there was uh, wine offerings, but also uh, not only that, uh, in the in the ancient times, water didn't stay we- stay good. And so uh, very often people drank fermented drinks because it kept you from getting sick. Uh, that's, that's it. You didn't want to drink too much of that, but nevertheless, that's why people drank wine. It was fermented. Can you imagine in John 2, when the Lord Jesus turned the water into wine, if he only turned it into grape juice, what would they be saying? They'd be saying, wow, usually you start out with the Welch's grape juice 
and then you bring out the jewel brand or the store brand. But now, in this case, they started with the store brand, and look, we've got even better than Welch's. I don't even know where this this juice came from. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, just as you read the story in John 2, it's clear that the Lord Jesus turned water into wine. Now, abusing wine is a, a, is a serious issue in Scripture, and we should never abuse it and allow it to control us. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. So we're not supposed to get drunk. I think that's a really important thing. We're not supposed to be controlled by wine. Uh, but, on the other hand, uh, there's nothing in Scripture that I see that would forbid it. Now, here's what I would say. There are a lot of people who can't even take a sip because they will abuse it. Uh, those people should never drink wine. And then, secondly, I would say if you're in a position where people are watching you and they will take my liberty or your liberty as license uh, for them to do it, and they shouldn't, then we ought to restrain ourselves and refrain from it. Also, there's some people who I've heard say, well, I've never heard anything good coming from wine today in our culture. I'm not going to drink it. That's a great conviction to have. Uh, but we shouldn't look down in judgment on others who may not share that same conviction. So uh, in all those ways, I think that we can limit our liberty, but it doesn't mean that everyone has to limit our liberty, their liberty. Okay? Yeah, right. That's, that's, I agree with that 100%. Okay. Great. Well, I, I appreciate yeah, it, Andrew. The, yeah. Got to be careful not fall into the trap of legalism. Thanks for your call, Andrew. Uh, we're going to speak next with Michael in Tulaco Plains, Tennessee, listening on WMBW. Welcome to Open Line, Michael. How can I help you? Uh, happy Rosh Hashanah, Michael. Oh, I, um, thank you. Yes, I had a question on modern English translations and the word hell in the Old Testament and New Testament and why it's not translated in a lot of passages. It's just transliterated. Why it's called Sheol uh, instead yes, of hell? Yes, and Hades. It, yeah, yes. and you now, you now, I'm guessing, are a King James reader, right? Um, well, I'm not King James only, no. But you're a King James reader, because in the King James, yes, yes, Sheol is translated hell. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you want to know why the New Testament or even the modern translations of the Old Testament don't use the word Sheol, right? That's Exactly, uh, yes. Don't use the word hell for Sheol. Got it. Okay. I'm just trying to clarify the question. Uh it's because we have a our understanding of hell is quite different from what Sheol means. That's why. So okay. when we think of hell, we think of the after the judgment, those who don't know the Lord spend eternity separated from him. And then, of course, when we think about the great white throne judgment, ultimate judgment, uh, it's one of the saddest things that we should ever think of is that there will be people who will be uh, cast into the lake of fire that was not designed for humanity. It was designed for the devil and his angels. So you can read about that in Revelation 20. But it says the lake of fire, which was uh, created for the devil and his angels. That's what we think of as what hell is. Isn't it? Right. Uh -huh. the, word the word Sheol 
actually just means the place of the dead. It doesn't really indicate separation from God or presence with God. It's just the place where the dead go. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't indicate necessarily uh, w- whether it's with God or with separated from him. It's just the place of the dead, the abode of the dead. That's all it means. And so, you know, some people say there's two places in Sheol. Uh, you know, I think that's going beyond what the scriptures actually reveal. I do believe that those people in the Old Testament who knew the Lord would go to be with the Lord when they died. Uh, and then those who did not were separated from him, just like Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus. This is before, uh, you know, this is reflecting an Old Testament circumstance. Lazarus goes to, uh, goes to be, uh, goes to heaven and he's being comforted by Father Abraham. And then uh, the rich man is separated from God and is suffering. But that's not the final destiny, the final destiny for the, the lost. Uh, for the, the final destiny for believers is resurrection to eternal life, uh, living forever with God, not floating around on a cloud but genuine physical resurrection in the new heavens, the new earth. And the final destiny of uh, those who don't know him is the lake of fire. That's what we mean often when we wheeze the word hell. But Sheol is the abode of the dead. Okay? Okay. All righty. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Uh, We're going to speak next with Susan in Lombard, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Susan. How can I help you? Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. I, I so appreciate it. Um, Dr. Michael, okay, I can say that, so I agree with the, what happened <laughs> with the earlier call. I, I wanted to say it correctly, so he gave me an out sure. there. So That's great. Um, I, have a, I have a question that I recently read about the red heifer. I'm not too well versed on that as far as the sacrifice of the red heifer an unblemished heifer for the new temple that's going to be built during the tribulation. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand that it's very rare in recent years. I've heard that there have been some births of some red heifers and that only nine have been sacrificed since I think the mm-hmm. time of Moses is not correct. So I wonder if you could clarify for me what significance that has going into the, um, the time and the period up and coming. Sure. Uh, in the uh, Hebrew Bible, there is a red heifer that was supposed to be without spot or blemish. And mm-hmm. I believe in the, in the millennial temple, those red heifers will be offered. What mm-hmm. happened with rabbinic law is they began to consider, even if there was like w- one white hair on a, mm-hmm. you know, in their fur of the, the cow, uh, mm-hmm. if there was just one uh, uh, white hair, that that was a spot or blemish. I don't think that's what the Bible means. The Bible means like a lameness or an eye problem or, or <clears throat> some skin deformity. And then uh, that, that that's what being, having a spot or blemish would be, not having a white hair or something like that. And so because the rabbis have... Uh, have made this standard of a white hair being a problem. They're looking for a red heifer that doesn't have one white hair 
Now, I, had a, I once had a dog that was perfectly black, but she always had on her forehead one white hair. Uh, I wouldn't say that was a spot or blemish. So I differ with the rabbis, and I don't think that the, you need that that perfect red heifer that never, ever has even one little white hair on it. It's just talking about a red heifer, a red-colored one that doesn't have any uh, fault or or problem with it. That's all it's talking about. So I, I would just be careful about listening to those stories out of Israel. They found the red heifer, and it's going to be, this is the one for the temple, and then we get all the excitement going that this is the end of days and all this stuff. It's it's not, uh, it's not, it's not really uh, accurate. So anyway, I hope that helps, Susan. We're going to take a break here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to take more of your calls. You're listening to Open Line. My name is Michael Reidelnik. This is where you can call for with your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. The phone number, 877-548-3675. Stay with us. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Open Line. So glad that you are listening. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, I was uh, I was so gratified that last hour, Dr. William Washington, the Dean of Student Life, and also the uh, he's the Vice President and Dean of Student Life at Moody. He's also the Vice President Interim of Enrollment, handling that position till we get our new Dean of Enrollment. Uh, well. I'm so glad that he called in. He became a kitchen table partner and really is the one that is challenging us to have twice as many people sign up to be kitchen table partners. And so what I'm going to do is in coming weeks, I'm going to actually let you know how many kitchen table partners we have. I need to find that figure out. And then I'm going to... uh, uh, accept uh, from Doc Washington the challenge of encouraging that number to be doubled because we really want to double our impact here at Moody Bible Institute. So I appreciate that. A couple recently told me, I mentioned that Doc Washington had uh, challenged us to double the number of kitchen table partners. And a woman actually wrote on our Facebook page that she received that challenge and she became a kitchen table partner. Now, truth to tell, I appreciate kitchen table partners because they give monthly, but I only want people who've really been encouraged, strengthened, helped in their knowledge of the word to become part of the team. I'm not telling you not to do it, but you know, I think it's, it's, it's just so meaningful when someone tells me that they have been encouraged, uh, to become a kitchen table partner. That means so much. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I'm so grateful for every generous person that has made that decision. And if Open Line is helping you in your walk, maybe you can be an answer to Doc Washington's challenge as well. Uh, you can become a kitchen table partner. If you do, I'll send you a Bible study moment every other week. It's an audio Bible study in your email. Click on it, listen to it. I think you'll be encouraged by it. And then also, uh, a kitchen table partner this week contacted me and said, what do you think, this is an interesting question, what do you think is the minimum to become, minimum amount to become a kitchen table partner? 
I said, I don't think there is a minimum amount. I'm grateful uh, for every person, you know, whatever they can give. They make this commitment. I'm so grateful for it. Uh, not for a second would I want to make a minimum. But then they said, what do you think's the the best? I said, I think the best for the uh, l- the listener who becomes a kitchen table partner. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing, but I said $30. Why $30 a month? Because if you if you commit to giving a $30 a month gift to be a kitchen table partner, you can get access to the entire Moody Publishers catalog at 50% off. And when I think of buying books, that's what I want, you know. So I, I love buying books. And so for me, that meant so much uh, that I think, well, if someone wanted to know how much should I give, I'd say give $30, then you get to buy books at 50% off. Isn't that a steal? So anyway, if that's what you're interested in, uh, that may be what you want to give. Anyway, if you'd like to become a Kitchen Table Partner, call 888-644-7122. Let me give you that number again, 888-644-7122, or you can just go to openlineradio.org and sign up there. Well, we're going to go right back to the phones now, uh, and uh, we're going to speak next with Beatrice in Fort Myers, Florida, listening on WSOR. Welcome to Open Line, Beatrice. How can I help you? Hello. Uh, I I was baptized when I was a little baby, and after I accepted the Lord as my Savior, do I have to be baptized again as an adult? When 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 did you trust the Lord? How old were you? Was that a few years ago? Was it a long time ago? Tell me. A few years ago. Okay. When I, when I was ago. about 65, when I was 65, I'm, now I'm 100. You're 100 years old? Yes. Wow. Wow. God bless you. That's Thank you. That's a long life. Wow. Yeah. That's great. So, so now, now, will this keep me from heaven if I don't get baptized? Well, let me ask you this. How is it that we're saved? Because I accepted the Lord as my Savior. Yeah, by grace through faith. That's it. Yes. That's the only way to be saved. Isn't that yes. true? Yes. So it doesn't say uh, that you need to have any work. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of works oh. so that none of us can boast. So okay. think about think about the the thief on the cross when he said, Lord, remember me. When I, yes. uh, when when you come into yes. your kingdom, what does the Lord yes. Jesus say? He says, uh, you... "This day you'll be together with me in paradise." I'll tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say, uh, "Get let's get off this cross and let me get you baptized so you can go to heaven." So that's just uh, just a different thing. Now let me just say, if you would uh, want to be baptized and you're able to be baptized, I think it's better, my opinion of the scriptures, and there are a lot of believers who disagree with me, so that's okay, but my opinion is the Bible calls for believers to be baptized, not babies to be baptized. But I think that uh, I would give you a special dispensation if at age 100 you're not able to get into the water. So just... uh, just trust me on that one. God will understand. Okay? So, yes. But the most important thing 
is to trust in Jesus, and that you've done. So thank God for that, and so glad that you're uh, a child in his kingdom. Okay? Oh, thank, thank you, Beatrice. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Yeah, okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to speak next with Rick in Columbus, Ohio, listening to WFCJ. Welcome to Open Line. Uh, hey, Rick, is, is WFCJ a Columbus station? No, actually, it's uh, Miamisburg. I'm visiting in Columbus right now. It's just uh, below Dayton, Ohio. Oh, that's what I thought. Okay. Well, I, th- I think yeah, it's so uh, interesting because my first uh, congregation that I led was in Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, uh, yep, yeah, and I, uh, I, I just think it's so, uh, it's so uh, interesting that, that you're there. I always wonder if, I didn't think that we're carried in Columbus on open line, but uh, I, w- I, would, uh, I would like to be carried there because I was the congregational leader at Beth Messiah Congregation, which is in Columbus, Ohio. It's, I think it's in the northeast suburbs. Uh, I think it's in Gahanna, actually, is where uh, uh-huh. it is. And uh, I always said that Gahanna is a terrible neighborhood to have a congregation, <laughs> but, you know, because that's the Hebrew word for hell. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, but no, it's, a, it's a lovely suburb, and, uh, and that's where... Beth Messiah is, and it's led by Howard Silverman. Let me put a, if you're listening in Columbus on the app or something, uh, just so you know, Howard Silverman, a Moody grad, is the congregational leader, a good, good friend of mine, and uh, love that congregation in Columbus. Well, go ahead with your question, Rick. Uh, Yeah, and uh, by the way, you know, it's never over till it's over. You can end up on the radio here uh, before the Lord comes, (laughs) so we'll just pray for that. Yeah, Uh, I hope so. I was in a men's I was in a men's group the other night, and the discussion came down to uh, the scriptures where Jesus passes away on the cross, and he, it says he descended into hell, you know, for three days, and he preached, and we got off on all this. And uh, basically, I just want a quick overview of what you think happened, focusing basically on the preaching, because uh, they came up with some conclusions that I thought were very uh, unscriptural. And I'm just trying to clarify this. I mean, I know what I believe and what I think they meant, but I would like to hear you clarify exactly what went on and why. Well, let me just say, when you read Luke, you said you read the story of the crucifixion and it included the preaching in hell. It really doesn't. Uh, It doesn't say that at all. What it says in uh, the Gospels is when the Lord Jesus died, when he was crucified. What does he say? What are are his last words? It's, uh, for example, Luke 23, 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. doesn't say anything about going to hell. It says that he went to be with the Father. What did he say to the thief on the cross? He said, this day you'll be together with me in paradise, right? That's what he says in Luke 23, 43. My point is, when we read the Gospels, the implication is that the Lord Jesus descends into, uh, uh, doesn't descend into hell, but ascends to be with the Father. And so, you know, there are verses that people use, like uh, when Mary 
meets the Lord Jesus in the garden at the resurrection. He says, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. What that means is stop clinging to me there in John 20. Stop hanging on to me. I'm going to be with you for the next 40 days. Then I'll ascend to the Father, as as he does in Acts 1. So he's not talking about what he did for the past three days. He's talking about the future. Then the other verses in 1 Peter 3, uh, where it talks about that he uh, preached to the spirits now in prison. Some people think that means that Jesus went and preached to people who are in hell. But what, what 1 Peter 3 is actually talking about is that he preached to uh, people who died in the time of Noah he preached to them through Noah in the Spirit. That's how he preached to them. And then, uh, this is how I would translate it. It says that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, this is 1 Peter 3.18, but made alive in the Spirit. By whom? By the Spirit. He also went and made proclamation to the spirits, now in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah. What happened? The Lord Jesus preached by the Spirit through Noah. People didn't listen. They are now spirits in prison awaiting judgment. And uh, But he didn't descend to hell and preach to them or give them a second chance or just preach judgment or anything like that. Uh, the Lord Jesus ascended to his Father upon his death. Anyway, there's more to be said about that, but that should do for now. Thanks for your call. Really appreciate it. I'll be right back with more with the mailbag in just a moment. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line with me, Michael Radelnik. And I am so glad that Courtney Young is here. She's got the mailbag. We're so grateful for all of you writing in to openlineradio.org and clicking on Ask Michael a Question so that your questions get put in the mailbag. This is the Far East Broadcasting Company, the FEBC mailbag. Grateful for their partnership. You know, you can get a deeper perspective on how the gospel is advancing in the world's most unreached countries through the weekly podcast called Until All Have Heard with Ed Cannon. All the details for this and more about FEBC's extensive outreach can be found at febc.org. That's febc.org. And there's Courtney. Hey, Courtney. Hello. Do you you like being on the radio. I think you're a frustrated engineer. You want to be a radio host. <laughs> I like doing the engineering part, actually. Yeah, yeah. you want to do both. Yeah. That's it. Well, yeah. yeah. That's it. I, I do my own podcast, so I kind of do yeah. a little bit. Yeah. 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 I get that. <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to siphon your listeners, Michael, or No, anything. no, that's no, okay. okay. That's okay. <laughs> well, anyway. Well, uh, what do we got today on the mailbag? All right. Um, we have Rita in Illinois listening on WMBI asks, Do you think the story of Job is fact or fiction? I have a hard time believing a woman, Job's wife, can or would want to have 10 more kids after the first 10 died. Um, There's so many details in the story that make it sound more like fiction tale passed down rather than fact in a book that supposedly reveals God's view of suffering. Thank you for your time. Well, let me, first of all, the book is not about God's view of suffering. It's about 
uh, God's sovereignty, even when we suffer, that God is still in charge. And so, uh, so that's it's a slightly different perspective because remember when Job suffers, he he demands that God give an explanation for his suffering, and God's answer is, "Hey, where are you when I you know built the storehouse of the snow? You know, I'm the creator, and and you're the creation. You don't get to tell me what to do." And so it's an emphasis on God's sovereignty as creator. So uh, that's the first thing. Secondly, it seems to me that when Ezekiel speaks about Job, uh, he's he speaks of him in a way as if he really existed. So in the Bible, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 14, it says, uh, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. And then verse 20, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live. And then it goes on to talk about this. So it talks about three godly men from the Old Testament. Noah, who we think was a real person. Daniel, who we think was a real person. And Job who appears to be a real person. Then assumes Uh, a real person, right. (laughs) Yeah, so now here's the thing. You know, if if he had said, uh, we think of these three, and he says Bilbo, Frodo, and Samwise, (laughs) we'd know he was speaking of someone that wasn't real. He was a fictional character. But that's not what he says. He talks about real people, Noah, Daniel, and then Job. So it would, uh, we'd have to assume that all three are real people. Triangulated. Got it. Yep. Got it. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, Rita. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, the Lord Jesus also spoke, not the, uh, not uh, actually James in the New Testament speaks about Job, uh, and he treats him as if he were a real person. I was just reading James in my quiet time this past week, Uh, And it says, you have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate. So let's, can we talk about the woman having 10 more kids? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can we presume that maybe it's, you know, maybe Job was an older man and his first wife passed afterwards. And then God, when he restored his family, perhaps was with a new wife. We just don't know. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Could very well be. Okay? Excellent. Good, mm-hmm. good, good. Um, all right. Kathy in Michigan, listening on WGNB, asks, are we only supposed to pray to God the Father? I've prayed to Jesus my whole life. Is that wrong? Should I change this? Also, can you pray to the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, the biblical model of praying is to pray to the Father. That's the biblical model. Uh, I've said this countless times when I read the scriptures, here's the normal model. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. Hmm. That's the the overall way that the scriptures teach us to pray. There's only one place in scripture where someone prays directly to the Lord Jesus. And I guess that one exception uh, can make it possible. So I don't think that God uh, has not listened to your prayers, Kathy, I think uh, 
the Lord Jesus hears you. Just as, and the, the one place, I'll tell you where it is, it's after Stephen's sermon, when they pick up stones to stone him, as they're stoning him, after his message, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's the only prayer in the Bible directed to the Lord Jesus directly, so, uh, d- it, without going to the Father in the name of the Son. The reason I point that out is generally I would say that unless we're being martyred for the faith, probably we should pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. The next question is, should we pray to the Holy Spirit? But I, I let me just remind you, Kathy, you have prayed to the Lord Jesus your whole life. God is not harsh or unkind. The Lord Jesus hears your prayers, and don't think that none of your prayers were unheard. That any of your prayer, you were every prayer you prayed to the Lord Jesus was heard, and that's okay. So I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying what the Bible teaches. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, and then the question is. Should we pray to the Holy Spirit? One of the things, when I read the Upper Room Discourse, one of the themes that keeps coming up is that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he says, he will testify about me. One of the most important lessons we can learn about the Holy Spirit, and I think sometimes it's misunderstood by some of our denominations, is that the Holy Spirit, There's never an example of anyone praying to the Holy Spirit. And secondly, the Holy Spirit is shy. And therefore, what I mean by shy is he is pointing to the Lord Jesus. He is not pointing to himself. And so I would think we pray by the power of the Spirit, but we don't pray to the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. That's the answer I would give. And it's okay for us to learn that. And even if you've prayed to the Lord Jesus your whole life, maybe now's the time to think about it more biblically, the way the Bible teaches we need to pray, which is to the Father, in the name of the Son, by the Holy Spirit's power. Okay? Okay. And how about if we're asking the Holy Spirit to pray for us? Is that a thing? It's kind of an interesting thing in Romans. That's a good question. Romans 8, uh, it talks about when we don't even know how to pray, when we've got difficulties, pains, sorrows, and we're sort of at the end of our rope, and we don't know how to pray. What it says is, then the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That's what it says. And some people think that that's praying in, again, unlearned languages, maybe uh, heavenly utterances, right? But that's not what it is. It says... uh, that the Holy Spirit prays for us with words that are too, with groanings and uh, that are too deep for words. Uh, I think that's that's very interesting to me that the Spirit prays for us with groanings that are too deep to be expressed with words. The reason I say that is in answer to your question is that the Holy Spirit doesn't need to be asked to pray for us. He'll do it when we come to the end of our rope because he's aware of what's going. We don't have to ask him to do that. Rather, uh, the Holy Spirit will do it automatically for us. Mm. And then secondly, 
it's not that we do it and he does it through us uh, because we're speaking in unlearned languages, but rather he does it uh, with words that are unspoken. It's, it's going on in the presence of God without us even being aware of it, I think, you know, uh, mentally aware of it. It's not like we're uh, using some sort of speech to do it. It's by the power of the Spirit he is doing it and completely doing it without our participation. Awesome. Okay. I love it. Yeah, it is. It is pretty amazing when you think about that. Yeah, I, so. I, 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 I uh, call on that every now and then when I, when yeah. I'm in the middle of a prayer and I just, Holy Spirit, take over here. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know have what, the words. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. at the end of it, and I have groanings that are too deep for anything that could mm-hmm. come out of my mouth right now about it. So, yeah. 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 Good. Cool. Okay. You want to do one more real quick? Yeah, real quick. Okay. Tracy in Tennessee listening on WMBW asks, I have a well-educated Jewish friend who intimidates me when we discuss God or Jesus or religion, so I tend to avoid those things with him. Even though he wants to engage with me, how can I relate without possibly causing an argument? Uh, You can't. Hmm. Don't be intimidated. If you have the truth, don't be intimidated. And, you know, part of the culture of Jewish people, think of the Talmud. It's just one big argument. They won't get offended <laughs> if you argue with them. I, I, uh, I don't get offended if people differ with me. I'm Jewish. Uh, and truth to tell, uh, when I became a believer, the woman who led me to faith argued with me and argued with me. We stood there with a Bible open, kind of shouting at each other. Maybe that's not maybe what she wants to do, but we, we kind of raised our voices. No, 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 that's not what it says. Oh, yeah, that's look at it more carefully. You know, we were, we were going at it like that. You read the book of Acts, when Paul would go to the synagogue, he would argue the scriptures with people So with, in the synagogue. So don't be intimidated. Be bold with the truth, and don't worry about getting into a, a friendly argument. That's what you need. You have to still be friendly, but you can argue in a friendly way. That's what I would say. Hey, let me read you the verse from Romans that I was talking about, about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray. Because we do not know what to pray for us, for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. That's what I was talking about before. We're going to come back with more of your questions in just a moment. That was Courtney Young. I'm Michael Rydelnik, and this is Open Line. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Open Line. It's amazing that uh, the Bible teaches that Paul prayed to the God of Israel for the people of Israel. Romans 10, 1, it says that his heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. And too often we neglect to pray for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people. And that's why Chosen People Ministries' new calendar is so helpful. They have an annual Jewish art calendar with wonderful pictures of Israel. But this year's, which starts in September, because the Jewish New Year starts in September, as you know from the first hour, the opening word, Uh, It's Rosh Hashanah this weekend, the Jewish New Year. But as you know, it starts in September, and they have uh, a calendar that goes from September 
through December of 2024 with pictures and excellent prayer prompts. Uh, Ideas every month to pray for the Jewish people. So you can be like Paul and pray for the Jewish people if you get this calendar. If you'd like a free copy of the Chosen People Ministries Jewish Art Calendar, just go to the Open Line website, and that's openlineradio.org, our website, not theirs. Scroll down, you'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your free copy of the 2324 Jewish Art Calendar. We're going to speak with Joe in Roselle, Illinois, listening on WMBI, Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you, Joe? Hi, Jack. Hi, Dr. Rydelnik. Um, I'm Hi. a big fan of your radio show, and Thank you. I listened to you preach one time, and you do have more hair on the radio. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's one of your own jokes. <laughs> yeah. All right, here's my question. I won't take up a lot of your time. Um, I want to know the time period between uh, Jesus' resurrections and uh, resurrection and Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. I can't get it out of the Bible. I'm going crazy. Well, it's in April of 33 that I believe the resurrection happened. I think April 5th. Uh, could be April 4th. I can't remember. But uh, in April of 33, uh, the Pentecost, when the Holy well, the Ascension happened about 40 days after that. Pentecost was May 24th, A.D. 33. And then Paul's conversion in Acts 9, uh, it was in the summer sometime in A.D. 35. Uh, So uh, that's that's what I would would say uh, that happened. and uh, so it's about two years, I would say. Yeah, that okay? yeah, it looks like two years. I've yeah. heard so many different numbers; it's amazing. Oh, yeah, uh, I I got that any... from I got that from uh, Harold Honer's uh, uh, chronological study of the New Testament. Uh, he did a chronology of the whole Bible as a doctoral dissertation, and he explained every reason for those dates. Uh, that's where he got it. Hey, Court, I need the next caller because I just lost my screen. Oh. Um, okay. okay. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, I'm a good You're welcome. Your, thank uh, you for your call. Your pals. Okay, next uh, we're going to talk to Joshua. Welcome to Open Line, Josh. How can I help you? Oh, uh, good to speak with you. I appreciate your time. Um, my question, or I guess... Um, so I had a Bible professor at one time that put forth the idea that the first couple of chapter, or the first few chapters of the book of Genesis was, <clears throat> could have been uh, a likely penned by Adam himself. Um, just And she cited, for example, like the usage of, of words in the transliteration for the sun and the moon as lesser light and greater light. And, you know, whether, and if Moses um, would have penned the first couple of chapters of the creation account that he would have just used the words sun and moon, stars, things like that, rather than um, uh, obscuring the language or whatever. Uh, and I just wanted to know if you thought that might be plausible and, and uh, what your thoughts might be on that, because I think it's kind of an exciting concept that God himself would have would have taught Adam language and writing. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Absolutely, I do not think that's so. 
I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> no, I don't think it's true. I think Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Uh, he wrote Genesis 1-1 through uh, uh, Deuteronomy 33 or 32. Then you've got the 33 and 34 are attached to the Pentateuch after Moses dies. Obviously, he didn't write his own death, but I believe Moses wrote the Torah. And uh, I don't know what source he used for the creation narrative. Uh, he doesn't tell us. I don't know if God told him that directly or if he had some written document or oral tradition about the creation narrative. It just doesn't know. But who wrote it? Who put it into the book? It was Moses and, and not Adam. So we can't say Adam was a partial author of the Torah. But anyway, it's a creative idea, but not anything that we can find in Scripture. When, whenever the Lord Jesus or anyone talks about who wrote the Torah, it's always Moses wrote the Torah. So, so uh, okay, let's, let's go to our next caller. Who is that? Uh, Aaron, uh, welcome to Open Line. How can I help you? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. So I was reading the I was reading the handbook. Um, Just go ahead. I've got mind. about thirty seconds to answer your oh, yeah, question. I was reading so the Messianic Prophecy Handbook, and you in it you said that the word "begotten" in Psalm two was mm-hmm. a claim that he was being crowned or declared king. Mm-hmm. So in John three sixteen it reads, you know, he gave his only begotten son, and three eighteen said the only begotten son of God. So in both cases in the Gospel of John, is it saying that his only declared or crowned king and son of God? as opposed to his actual only son? Okay. It's, it refers to his one and only son, referring to his uniqueness is what I think that is referring to in the New Testament. Uh, the, the word is slightly different than Hebrew in Psalm 2, where it speaks about his enthronement as the unique son of God. So appreciate your call. That's the program for the week. I can't believe it. Thanks for listening, everyone especially those of you who called or sent in questions. You make Open Line possible. As always, I'm grateful for today's Open Line team, Gabby for producing, Courtney for all her technical help, and Bob as well, but also, Court, for answering the, asking the questions, and also for Josie for answering the phones. Keep in touch with us by going to our website, openlineradio.org. That page has all the links you're looking for, including our current resource and how to become a kitchen table partner. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. See you next week.